Today's guest is an executive with over 35 years experience with a focus on quality, patient safety, and advancing health excellence in healthcare. She is Marty Moore. Marty was recently honored with an honorary doctorate degree for her contributions in advancing healthcare and nursing by St. Martin's University. She holds several patents and trademarks for healthcare innovations and leadership models. Marty has also served as an adjunct faculty member at multiple universities, most recently at George Fox University in the Healthcare Administration Program. And based upon her knowledge and expertise, Marty publishes and presents nationally and internationally on transforming healthcare for the needs of the future. Her most recent work is contributing content for the Rebel Nurses Handbook, and she is also a contributor to my patient safety charity anthology titled Highway to Heart, Humor, and Honesty in Healthcare. And there's just so much more to know about Marty, and we've posted that at our website, speakupandstayalive.com. But right now, we have lots to talk about. So welcome to the show, Marty. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so privileged and excited to be with you. Oh, I feel the same way about you. So we're going to have a good conversation, lots to dig into. And you know, as I was uh, studying you and some of your work, I read a piece that you wrote a few years ago titled, What Falling Out of the Sky Taught Me. And it was a harrowing experience on a flight that you tied to healthcare. So I'm fascinated by that, that you were able to make that connection between what happened to you and and how it ties into healthcare. Give us just a little peek into that. Yeah, I would love to. So the scenario was that I was on a flight from O'Hare into Pittsburgh, and I was sitting in the exit row. And the uh, pilot said, uh, we're going to have turbulence. I'm going to keep the safety belt light on. And I, of course, I fly a lot. And so I just said, cool. And I was watching my <laughs> video that I had on and suddenly realized that we were really not in regular turbulence. As a matter of fact, it was something I've never seen before. And then you start to, to understand the fact that this is an emergency issue and this is serious. And then all of a sudden we dropped 6,000 feet. And then we were back into it, and, and what had happened was is a funnel cloud came out of nowhere, and it hit our airplane. I actually didn't understand that that could happen at 30,000 feet, I think we were, but it did. And what I watched was how absolutely leadership matters in how the, the pilot communicated, managed uh, the emergency landing. We had to do emergency landing into Detroit, the reaction of individuals, and how the communication was such a critical matter in ensuring that all of us were able to get off that plane safely. Mm-hmm. And you wrote something, I'm going to quote what you wrote. You you said, communication, while one of the most critical elements within an organization, is the hardest to execute perfectly. Leaders must stay committed to delivering critical and non-critical messages repeatedly until each individual understands the why in the message and the role they play. And as I read that, I thought, this is spot on. If every individual on the team does not understand why or the why, and if they don't understand it every single time, there will be a problem. So I have a two-part question, which is something one shouldn't do, but I'm going to give it to you. How, okay. do, how do you teach the why? And secondly, how do you make that sustainable? It may be a two-part question, but it actually is one component. And so teaching the why is the first thing has, has to be on, as I believe, the communicator's shoulders. Um, the communicator has to have extreme clarity about what is the message that they want imparted. 
And then the other part of the why is, is that, and, and I've done this too as a leader, where you think you've communicated, but you've only done it once or twice. And it, when you have critical messages, people are unable to really ascertain uh, what the why is. And so you must think about how is it that you can get those critical messages across to where people then can take it in, synthesize it, and go, oh, I get, I get what I'm supposed to do. I understand what I'm supposed to do. The sustainability part of it, and that's the part that I also think we trip ourselves up many times, because we think that we communicate and that people get it, and they should just do it. You and I both know that it takes almost like a communication campaign to be able to drive sustainability and and drive behavioral changes throughout an organization. And that's where leaders have to understand that this is not a tactic they do. It's a strategic action. I literally use, I have a kind of a whiteboard that I use where I do communication mapping and I circle myself back around to make sure that the key messages that I started with are still being reinforced and that there hasn't been a deviation away from it. The other part that people have to think about is you've got to engage, and I call it my head and my heart, because you're asking, when you give a why, you're asking people to give you discretionary energy. You're asking them to step out of the norm, deviate from what they're used to do, their autopilot kind of actions, and you're asking them to be uh, thinking differently and acting differently. And so in many ways, I actually use uh, multiple modalities such as storytelling to exempt or exemplify the why, but um, I still want my message to be crystal clear, and then I reinforce it. And I reinforce it through dialogue. I reinforce it through multi-modalities, but you have to be thinking about it and realizing it used to be seven times you have to say it before people get it. I think we're way beyond that. I think our brains have gone short-circuited. And so you really do have to think about it as a repetitive message that you have to be working into your organization and then continuously doing communication and so mapping it out, where are you at in the organizational transformation and understanding how change can happen. Mm-hmm. I believe people can understand the why if they actually experienced something that exemplifies why the why makes sense or why you need that. But short of that, which is almost impossible to accomplish, you talked about storytelling. And I think that stories are very powerful. So maybe maybe within that story, you could give that person or that staff member the feeling that they actually experienced it. Let's talk about storytelling because I think that's very, very important and valuable. Yeah, storytelling is a tool that many organizations, and you know, when you start hearing and seeing storytelling being published in like the Harvard Business Review, and you're hearing it in conferences, you know that uh, businesses are realizing the power of it. And so when you think about storytelling, you have to be really clear about what is the goal of the story. And one of the things is, is you want to invoke empathy. You want people, that's what I call the engagement of the heart. You want people to have empathy around this issue that you're struggling with so they understand that this is why I'm going to give you my discretionary energy. And the example I can give you is is I was talking and talking and talking about, you know, we, we can do better around our skin injuries when I was a CNO at a hospital in a health system. And people looked at the data and they nodded. They didn't disagree. And then we had an incredible tragic case, and that case haunted me, and it 
haunted me from the standpoint of, well, I, I thought that we had done our best as I worked to undercover what all transpired as I thought of things through a system. I went upstream. I went downstream. I realized that we had fundamental bias and flaws in how we were approaching skin health and that we didn't do our best. And as I thought about that, I also understood that my own leadership had failed. And so in my storytelling, I apologized to my team and said I was too engrossed into the numbers Mm -hmm. and I forgot the implication of what those numbers mean. And we have work to do. And here's what it is. And share the story of where we didn't do our best. And, you know, carrying that as a forward gauntlet, I think helps people to know that when we use data, there's always faces behind that data. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's where storytelling comes in because you can equate a real human person and a story and a situation and a consequence versus graphs and numbers. Correct. Mm -hmm. I haven't met a healthcare provider that doesn't think about the fact that every time I care for somebody, that could be my loved one. Mm -hmm. And that's when I say you invoke empathy. We have a tendency to think about the fact that that could have been my mom, my dad, my husband, my child in that bed. And that also then kind of evokes that willingness to say, "We, we can do better and let's do better. So who is responsible to teach the why? (laughs) Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, one of the things is, is that when you think about who's responsible for teaching the why, you would always say, all of us are, right? We all in the space of advancing uh, patient safety and elevating healthcare performance have that accountability. And yet, what I will tell you is, and I've watched this, I I do a lot of consulting across the nation, leadership matters. And many times, leaders, not consciously, I think, but will delegate out. And by not having their skin in the game or their passion around making these substantial changes and advancing non-patient safety, it gets put into kind of routine operations of the hospital or the health system. And so the first part of the why is clarity on leadership's part of why are we doing this? How will we know what our milestones are and our achievements are? How do we sustain it? That's the communication mapping and staying true to course or altering course when new information comes along. And then as delegation occurs, stay in the game and not turn it over to other people who are carrying it out because it becomes part of their duties and you get focused on other things. And I guarantee you, it's just like with mom and dad. When mom and dad are focused on something in a household, everybody does it. When mom and dad suddenly look at something else, it all slips away. And so leadership absolutely is critical to assure that you work on this cultural transformation of, around how do we become the most uh, safest health system or hospital in the United States. We will do a lot of work around high reliability organizations, so you're focused in on reduction variation, standardization, that fabulous work, but you still have to stay in the game around that. And when you're out rounding, when you're talking to people, you have to be able to go back to kind of what those core whys are and reinforce it because people are watching to say, huh, do I still need to do this? 
is this something I still want to invest uh, my energy into? And if you're investing your energy as a leader into it, they will invest their energy as well. Excellent. So leadership obviously does matter. And as you say, it's kind of looking up to mom and dad to saying what's important here and what do we concentrate on here? Let's take that and put that into a health, creating a healthy work environment, because obviously that touches employee satisfaction, which then translates to patient safety. And we want to create a culture such that everyone from the leaders, the nurses, physicians, to housekeepers and transporters, so that everybody feels free to speak up, to call out anything, any person or system that needs attention, and trust that they will remain safe and whole and not punished. How can we help our leaders to lead in such a way that they allow this kind of culture where there is a freedom for everyone to speak up and maybe even reiterate the why? Why can't we have a transporter say, hey, remember the why? It is possible, but I'm going to tell you as a leader, it's the hardest body of work you will do. Um, and so, and, and here's the why. So, the first thing is, is that you have to think about and look at how your power structures are within an organization. I believe passionately about uh, servant leadership. I believe my job, if you think about a pyramid, I am not at the top of the pyramid. Uh, it is an inverted pyramid where I am elevating others up. By doing that, you create an environment, and it's incredibly hard work, uh, to where there's mutual respect and mutual valuing. And you have to define what is mutual respect. And one of the things that I have used is what I call partnership councils. They're interdisciplinary because I truly believe that all voices have knowledge and wisdom. And so you have to be able to speak to that. And you have to be able to articulate the fact that all voices have wisdom and insight into this organization and that anybody can say, I didn't see you wash your hands or, you know, I think we skipped a step here. Now, doing that is incredibly hard and you will have so many testers. So the first thing you have to be thinking about is, is do you have alignment? Do you have alignment within your, your team? Do you have alignment from people, independent physicians who may be practiced within your organization, medical staff, whatever? Do you have that alignment that there is fundamental agreement that all people within this organization have equal voice and absolutely will be respected when they take that first step of speaking up. Now, here's the flip to it. Many, many times, the first time somebody speaks up, they do it in anger. Mm. And as a leader, you have to be willing to hear what that pearl is that's in that anger moment and not get defensive. And that's hard. It is super hard. I used to mentally put on my black jacket when I would go down to one department because they were always angry and it was just like, ugh. And I, it took a lot of work to, to get to where we could have kind of that dialogue that was mutually respectful and, and to hear each other, you know, because it isn't like there's one side or another. The other thing that I uh, have studied a lot and I use is really the um, understanding of polarity. So many times as we're working through cultural change, we have a tendency to look at things as either or. Mm -hmm. It is not either or. I've rarely found where it's either and or, and it's usually in a code situation or a trauma where I either do this or this is going to happen. Most of the time, it is this and this. 
And as you start to look at it in that framework, as you start to think about polarity management, you start to understand really and truthfully that there is insight that you're missing and that you have to incorporate that into how do you move initiations forward. Are there things that, like a transporter, that we're missing? Are there steps that we're asking people to do that are actually causing safety issues? Mm -hmm. And start to really look at it in a very different way. Now, I also trained um, in human-centered design, and so I have a tendency to look through the lens of how is it that we can reduce the human error factor and help people to really try to do the most safest job possible. That's the other part of leadership. And then as you're thinking about a cultural, healthy workplace and a culture that promotes that, looking at how people have to do their work through the sheer lens of humanity, through how is it that we can make this intuitive to where people do the right things at the right time, is a different, absolutely different lens. And it is amazing where you suddenly go, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Wow, why do we do that? And as you start to make those changes, you also then have to think about upstream, downstream, because, again, understanding everything's a system, it's all interconnected. And so you don't want to have kind of a negative outcome. You said trust, and I I want to also touch on that. I uh, believe, and I firmly have seen this in my own leadership and then those that I've worked alongside, trust is an outcome. It, It isn't given. And one of the things is that trust is an outcome based on action. We have a lack of trust when we see actions that do not create uh, confidence in what's happening or the leadership's capability. We have a lack of trust when uh, we're being told one thing and we're seeing other things happening. We have a lack of trust when we say we're an open culture, speak up, and then somebody does in, let's say, a staff meeting and they're shot down. Mm-hmm. That creates this outcome of a lack of trust. And so when you think about trust as an outcome, you then have to really look at your actions to say, what am I doing that will help build trust and confidence in this work? Yes, absolutely. I just wrote that down. Trust as an outcome is based on action, and that then holds people accountable because it's no longer words. Mm -hmm. Wow, there's a lot to talk about here. And uh, is there one thing that really stands out to you that you say, yes, this is where I want to hang my hat? I believe that we can have the best health system that others can look to for guidance or modeling. But what I watch is, is that in so many ways, we see ourselves through the lens of we are the best healthcare. And when we do that, we miss what is fundamentally right in front of us and that there is so much work to be done and we can do better. And I'll give you just a very short example. I just recently lost my mother. Um, my mom was diagnosed with dementia, and we were at a point, and it was right before Christmas, she was 75 pounds, and I knew that we were going to hospice. And I had kept her, been able to keep her at home, had done all the things that you want people to do in not utilizing health care at its highest cost. I, I didn't want interventions. She didn't want a take tube. And so I requested hospice, and it sat in a physician's inbox for four days which resulted in us having to go to the emergency department. Um, And my mom spent her last night on earth in the ED as a boarder. Now, 
And the ED, I said, I'm 100% confident she has aspiration pneumonia. I don't want her worked up. I do want her hydrated. I want her, you know, to be comfortable. So here's what we're doing. And yet, as we started to move into the hospice side, the lack of diagnosis of aspiration pneumonia actually created a, a barrier for us. And there was uh, a physician I was talking to who said it is easier to order tests and, and treatments and intervention than it is to really look at the humanity line before you and to step back and say, how do we walk alongside this journey? Mm -hmm. And if we can start to get to where we can do that, and we can do that in a, in, you know, the most supportive, effective way possible, I think we can transform healthcare. Mm -hmm. But we've got to get out of this mindset of high acuity disease related into really and truthfully health is everywhere health is more in your communities than it is in hospital settings. And we have to be rethinking about how is it that we help people to be healthy. Oh, Marty. And I'm sorry to hear about your mom. I'm sorry about that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, no, thank that, you. I appreciate it. That hurts. Well, okay. can you imagine having me as the daughter? <laughs> <laughs> no, as you were speaking, I was thinking of that. I know, those poor guys. I was just like, all right, folks, here's what we're doing. I am not happy. I want to tell you I'm not happy. Here's why. And they went and read the records. They saw all the things that I had tried to do to, to facilitate the right actions and came back in and they said they're sorry. But it was just like... <laughs> Oh, Anyhow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I'm sorry about that. I want to talk about one more thing, and I know that this was something you had spoke about, and that's, we're kind of going to the softer side here, meditation. What role does that play? Uh, yeah. I will tell you that I started my career in the field of pediatric intensive care as a flight nurse. As you can probably hear, I'm a pretty high-energy, passionate person. And so I was blessed to have the opportunity uh, when I worked for a faith-based health system to go through what was called leadership formation. And the first year was really about self-care for the leader, which um, in hindsight was brilliant. Uh, because one of the things is, is that leaders have to be able to take care of themselves, and many times we don't. And I learned that meditation helps you to be able to do so much. And one of the things that, that I learned about is, is, is many times your brain is struggling and it's working through it and it's trying to figure out what is going on here, why is this happening? And if you still it, if you just take minutes, minutes, and you allow your body and you allow that physiological response and you allow that oxygen to flow into your body, it is amazing, amazing what your your mind can do. And our brains are phenomenal. They're just incredible, but we don't allow them to function at the highest level. The other part that I've learned about meditation is, is that when we do that, not only do we gain clarity, we also, uh, you know, physiologically reproduce our blood pressure, we reduce stress. But one of the things that I did, I did a lot of work with um, a hospital around using just seconds of taking breaths and kind of that centering and even just putting your hand up at the door, at the, the room number, whatever it is, to remind yourself of who that person is and to not bring everything that you've been dealing with into that room but to really to be able to listen and to be there with them. Just taking seconds, and I'm not talking 10 minutes, I am talking seconds of just stopping, breathing, 
reminding yourself who's in that room, and then walking in changes, absolutely changes the interaction that you'll have with that individual. And your ability to hear what they're saying versus what they're not saying will be amazing. So many times patients tell us what they think we want to hear, but they have fears or they have safety concerns. And that's the other part, that we have got to be able to be open enough to be able to hear that and and work in partnership with them on that. Oh, that is so beautiful, so simple, and it not only helps the patient, it helps you as the person entering that room just to shed some of that backstory and walk in and really be present with another human being. What a gift. It is. And, you know, it's funny. I learned this kind of in a backdoor way in that my youngest daughter graduated from a university on the West Coast, and uh, she graduated with applied physics degree. And so she asked me to go hear a physicist speak, which I'll be honest with you, I kind of looked at her like, really? Uh, but I went. Um, and it was fascinating because the physicist was doing this study that, and was showing this study around uh, negative and positive ions and really did kind of eye-opening moment for us and for me in that, you know, he had people think about, 20 people think about the time that they have failed the most and they meditated on it. They totally thought about it. And they, when their mind wandered, they had to come back. You failed. You absolutely failed. And then they did this misting and this flash freezing. And then they had 20 people think about the time that they are the most grateful to where they hold gratitude so deeply into their heart. And they did this misting and this flash freezing. Those that held failure in their mind, again, this was all about energy. The molecules looked like, like a lava lamp. They were orange and red, and there was no definition to them. But those that held the gratitude in their hearts, the molecules, the water molecules, were crystal beautiful. They were incredible. And I sat there with my mouth open saying, do we not have consciousness around what we are bringing to others? We don't, and we have to. Oh, what a time for you that actually makes the science visible. Yeah, it was. Afterwards, I told my daughter, I said, I apologize, mm-hmm. and this was a learning lesson for me. And I have I have thought about that. I have never forgotten it. It was a, long, it was a bit ago. Um, because if you think about our environment, and you think about what we bring into patients, and you think about the fact that many times, I don't know that we're, we're really stopping and holding kind of that positiveness in us. A lot of times if the doctor's yelled or something's happened, We're bringing the negative ions into the room. They feel it. Oh, this is beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. I'm glad I asked. I almost didn't ask that question, and I'm glad that I did. Thank you. You're such a wonderful resource, so much to talk about. And and as we begin to wrap up, I just want to make sure that we haven't missed anything for today that you wanted to bring up. You know, the the one thing I would tell you is, is if people have not gone out and looked at CMS's white paper on person and family engagement, please do. Uh, because it's giving you a roadmap on partnership. It's giving a, a really clarity around the fact that we have got to be willing to not be the ones that are the most knowledgeable, but to be able to listen and work in partner with those that we serve. And I just, um, I continue to watch how many times the model has sustained into where we're more of the knowledge uh, uh, holders and people are feeling like they're at a disadvantage and they don't understand. And we have got to 
to be able to where people are informed and they understand what's happening to them and they understand their environment and we listen to them and we listen to them. Thank you. Thank you for sharing today. Would you like to share any contact information with those who are listening? Absolutely. So please find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Marty Moore. Um, and then additionally, if you have a private uh, question that you would like, you can reach me by email at Oregon, M-L-M, Marty Lee Moore, my initials, at iCloud.com. All right. Excellent. And it's Marty Moore, M-A-R-T-I-E, Moore, M-O-O-R-E. Marty Moore, you're awesome. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I would just ask people to keep patient safety in their hearts. Don't let the craziness of the world uh, squish it away <laughs> because in many times, you know, as, as in the fast pace of what we're doing, we have to keep that in the forefront. Marty Moore, thank you so much for today. We're going to have to do this again because there's obviously so much more to talk about. I appreciate you and the work that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.